Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Welcome back to the latest edition of Until Saturday. I'm Ari Wasserman, joined by Max Olson, my best friend who we did the official visit with. Um, it's been a long time since we've been together, but I'm happy to have you here. Um, we are going to talk about his favorite three scenes from Saltburn today. That's the whole show. <laughs> Welcome we to the Oscars edition of Until Saturday. We are going to break down all the nominees. Ari's going to break down all the rom-coms he saw this year. Yeah, if you are a listener of the show or a reader of The Athletic, you know who Max is. But if you're living on the rock and you don't know who he is, he's one of the best national college football reporters in the country. He's very much on top of the portal stuff. He knows all about um, you know, the moves and, and who and who helped themselves a lot this offseason, which is we're going to get into 10 teams or so without ranking, just going to you know go over some of the teams that we think did really good jobs this offseason heading into the spring transfer portal window. We're going to talk about a few new coaches in the Big Ten, and then we're going to review some of yours and our coldest takes from the 2023 season. Uh, you guys probably know what mine is, but I'm excited to hear what Max's is. So first, let me just formally introduce everybody to Until Saturday. Uh, really appreciate you being here. Be sure to follow the podcast on Apple or every listen to your podcasts. Please help support the show by dropping a five-star review. We will get to a five-star review question that we got into the show. Um, if you're here watching on YouTube, we certainly appreciate it. And if you're interested in watching on YouTube as a podcast listener, uh, subscribe to the YouTube channel. The link can be found in the show's description. And if you want to listen to us in podcast form while you're driving, running, working out, or cooking, whatever it is that you do, the link to the podcast feed is also in the show's description. Uh, leave us a voicemail on our Until Saturday phone line for future mailbags, uh, 316-462-9852. Again, that is 316-462-9852. We're going to be sprinkling in voicemails and mailbag episodes throughout the offseason. All right, Max, let's get into the crux of the show here. Uh, offseason winners, who helped themselves the most this offseason? I think it would have been really, really hard to rank them from 1 to 10 or yep. 1 to however many we get to. But let's just go through them, and then at the end, maybe we can see which ones we like the most. So first, um, team that helped themselves a lot is Oregon. Uh, I think that they did a, a very good job. Uh, they obviously brought in uh, quarterback Dylan Gabriel uh, to uh, replace a very talented quarterback in Bo Nix that they're losing. Dante Moore, a former five-star quarterback. Evan Stewart, one of the best um, receivers in the portal, and I think a kid that still has a really high ceiling. Uh, Jabbar Muhammad, the cornerback from Washington, Will Stein, the offensive coordinator, is also staying. We're not just going to be doing personnel stuff. We're also going to talk about coaching moves and stuff as well as helping themselves. What's your take on Oregon and what they were able to do this offseason? I think this was already, I think it was a pretty dreamy portal class, if you ask me. Like, they obviously, you lose Bo Nix, you lose a a lot of firepower on offense, but I think they went out and got the right replacements. And I think the thing with Oregon, the, the, the fun conversation to have here. Could they go win a national title in 24? I mean, it's going to be a different kind of road for them, obviously, going into the Big Ten, brand new brand new schedule and, and a lot of new challenges and stuff. But 
I think Dylan Gabriel, you can make the case that that maybe he's the best quarterback in the transfer portal, or at least the most experienced, the one that's most most like, you know, conference title ready in terms of a guy that uh, is coming off the uh, best season of his career as a, a first team all Big 12 player, uh, a guy that, you know, assessed his situation and, and didn't like where he was going to get drafted and stayed in school and um, I think is is going to light it up at Oregon um, and, and is extremely qualified to go lead him on a, on a monster year. I think Evan Stewart, you mentioned, he can go prove he's a first round type talent in Oregon's offense. And I love the pickup of, of Jabbar Muhammad, um, you know, the, this last week, a guy that they beat Alabama and Texas on. He's an all Pac-12 guy. They've added a really nice pieces in the secondary. They also took Matthew Befford, the offensive uh, line transfer from Indiana, who was committed from uh, to Colorado, and obviously Colorado needs offensive linemen. So that yeah. was just cruel and un- un- unnecessary, but that just shows you how good this class is. That That's just a throw-in uh, in this one. And then Ari, obviously, Ari, they're, they're recruiting at an extremely high level in terms of uh, high schoolers. So I think even with Bo Nix moving on, I'm very high on Oregon for 24. Yeah, I look at them, obviously, in a very tr- big transition period, Max, because obviously everyone knows they're going to the Big Ten. I think there is a discussion to be had because there is another big-time Big Ten team that's going to be on this list. Everyone knows that, whether or not Oregon's positioned to potentially win that conference in year one. But it's also a really big season for Dan Lanning. I think that he has proven himself in, in multiple ways, um, namely talent acquisition, both both through the portal and in yeah. recruiting and he made a very interesting comment uh, I think in the last week or so saying that he believes that Alab- or that Oregon is the best job in the country after you know rumors that Alabama would be interested and it's multiple times now that coaching jobs have come open that he would have been a prime candidate for that he's stuck with Oregon on but he hasn't won at a high level on the field yet there've been opportunities to do so they could have won the the Pac-12 this year um you're you're waiting for him to break through make the playoff and and make some noise in the postseason so to lose a guy like Bo Nix who could have won the Heisman maybe if two quarters went differently this year and to replace yep. him with Dylan Gabriel who, you know, we're not going to say is Caleb Williams who probably comes in and fits that system and plays within himself in a way that can keep Oregon going. I mean, going. he's probably I, – I don't know where you'd put it, but, I mean, is he probably a top 10 returning quarterback in college football? I, think I would he probably, probably say generally, so, yeah. I don't think that's, like, overly generous. But I also think, too, and tell me what you think about this, but the fit in the system and – how Oregon wants to do play offense and stuff kind of seems to fit his skill set too, which probably bumps him up a few rungs on that, on that discussion as well. No, I, I agree. I think he's going to be a guy that can get it out really fast. And, and, you know, as much as you saw him slinging around at UCF in Oklahoma, I, I just think it's like really a really clean fit. And a guy that also, if you talk to Oklahoma coaches, they just rave about the leadership he brought to that program in, in Brent Venable's first two years too. So like it, I, to me, that was like, Pretty dream scenario there, and one that Oregon didn't really have to fight anybody else on. Once he went in the portal, he knew pretty quickly he was going to be a duck. And you know, are you look at the schedule, and it, it's still it's still a struggle for me to like wrap my head around these schedules um, for twenty. It is weird to look at, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> but they they host Ohio State in the middle of October. They go to Michigan to start November. Um, they they host Washington at the end of November. It's and, and there's pro- look, there's probably going to be some games on that schedule that are, that are going to, you know, there may be some trickier games than they expect just because it's just so different in terms of the matchups. But I, I, I'm really high on what they've got coming back. I, as much as I like Troy Franklin and Bucky Irving and all the pieces that, you know, that are going to move on to the NFL, um, you know, it, it it's very t- it was very telling to me that as soon as Nick Saban decided to retire. 
What does that say about a guy, Ari, that, that everyone on Twitter, I know, I know Twitter is just a bubble, but it seemed like everyone instantly, as soon as that job is open, is thinking Dan Lanning. I mean, I think that speaks to yeah. at least the potential of what he can do um, as a head coach. And, and, and certainly the fact that he wasn't touching that job tells you what he thinks of Oregon. Yeah, I that was my thought. Like when when this first opened, I was like, who, if there's anybody in the country that can make you feel a little okay, you know, nobody's going to come in and make you feel okay about it, but like a little bit better. Mm-hmm. You go with the guy who has an SEC background, who recruits at a high level and kind of understands the game and how it needs to be played. Um, I do wonder, because he said this himself, um, if Oregon is the best job or one of the best jobs in college football, the NIL situation there, certainly with the proximity to Nike, uh, plays a factor in it. I don't yep. know if you can ever overcome geography completely, but Oregon has done a pretty good job of doing so. Um, if they are now in a conference and in a situation where they actually are maybe a top 10 job or top seven job in the country. Um, and I think winning at a higher level kind of changes the the chemistry a little bit on how you view that job too. So certainly had a really good off season. I think that Troy Frank- Franklin last year was one of the more underrated playmakers in the country. I don't think he got as much love as he deserved. Yeah. Uh, Bucky Irving was a really good running back too for the college level. And of course, Bo Nix was who he was and some offensive line help too there with Jackson Powers Johnson. I mean, you, Anytime you lose somebody like that, it's it's tough to replace. But yeah, but you get um, those tackles back. You got. I mean, you yep. just got a lot of pieces. Tez Johnson coming back. Um, I you know I think Oregon knew they were loading up to go make a national title run, and still did not take that many guys, which kind of tells you they feel like they've got. Uh, you know, they only took ten out of the portal, so it tells you they kind of feel like. Uh, and I know, I guess nowadays only 10 is a low number, right? But, um, it is kind of funny when you said that I was thinking like, yeah, only 10. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so, you know, it tells you that they feel like they're not that far off. Yeah. And the one thing I'll say before we move on to that, I like about them is you go out and you get a former five-star quarterback who is still very young in his career, who started another PAC 12 school to come in and now back up Dylan. I think that's like, what does that say about? like just the depth of your program and the direction you're headed and that they're able to, you know, get Dylan Gabriel his year. And then, you know, Dante Moore is ready to come the following year as a Midwest kid. I think that there's a lot there to like about supplementing through the portal for the long term, not just a one year plug and play scenario. Totally. Okay. So the next one, I think that uh, people could probably name the first five on this list without any questions, (laughs) but I think it's really fun to go into. We talked a little bit about how Oregon might be in a position to actually win a national championship. I think Michigan did a good job of kind of changing our calculus on who actually should be considered to win a national champ. At least in my mind, it's a little bit different than it was a year ago. Um, Ole Miss kind of went all in here in in Mm -hmm. the off season. They returned a lot of really good players, um, including Jackson Dart and Trey Harris, the leading receiver and that tight end. Caden Prescorn is like, doesn't he just have like Pittsburgh Steeler all Amer- like uh, all pro <laughs> written all over? That guy is a beast. Um, and yeah. then we also have big additions like defensive lineman Walter Nolan, uh, receiver Juice Wells from South Carolina, uh, running back Logan D- Diggs is coming in, a few offensive linemen. I mean, it just seems like they went all in and they're kind of like playing the salary cap game a little bit of schedule matches up nicely. Uh, we have a lot of returning pieces on a team that won double digit games last year. We're going for it. Yeah, you look at the the hall for for um, Ole Miss to side of portal, and you know I, I know I saw when like Caleb Downs committed to Ohio State, um, who I think we probably should talk about Ohio State today. But um, I saw a point. lot of people kind of doing the the gifts of like shoving shoving the chips all in, right? Uh, o- Ole Miss is is one of those teams that has been doing that since the the regular season yeah. ended. I mean, they are 
fully locked in on 24 is the year, not just to be a playoff team, but to win playoff games. And uh, you look at their portal hall, they've added, if you look, go, you just go through PFF and pull up each guy. Um, Ole Miss has added almost 19,000 career snaps just from the portal class that they that brought a lot? in. That's a lot. It's a, it's a, it's a generous <laughs> amount of experience that they've added. Um, and although there's one team that we'll, we'll touch on that added way more than that. Um, so I, I mean, I'm on the bandwagon. I think Ole Miss has got the goods uh, to, to, you know, to, to be a playoff team. And I know probably the departure of Quinchon Judkins kind of gives people maybe a little bit of pause when you're like, wait, if they had all that coming back um, with Jackson Dart and Trey Harris and all these players on offense, why would Judkins leave? And that's kind of a whole separate conversation we'll get into. But um, I, I think that, you know, they they did a solid job replacing him with Logan Diggs from LSU. Juice Wells is a proven all SEC player when he's healthy and, and they need him to be healthy this year, obviously. I thought adding the two transfers from Washington's Joe Moore award-winning offensive line last mm-hmm. week was a strong, like, we don't necessarily need to do this, but let's do it. I mean, that's kind of where Ole Miss is at. And then on defense, um, huge statement by beating Oregon on Walter Nolan. Um, you know, same thing, winning a, a tough battle for Princely from Florida. Just very heavy on defense in this portal class uh, with a lot of guys who who are starter caliber players. And so... You know, we'll see. Can they? You know, can you hit on the majority of them? Will be the challenge. But I, I think that if you're Lane Kiffin um, and and they're collective and everybody there, I, I think that this is like the team and and like the right moment to say like, okay, we we've been portaling for years to try to build this thing up, and now it seems like it's pretty solid now. And you added a bunch more pieces, but you feel like you you finally got enough coming back here that this thing could be pretty special. Yeah, we talked a lot about. Uh- Ole Miss building a 10-win team in the past through the portal and doing a very good job. I mean, I know that Lane Kiffin likes to play into the Portal King moniker, but Max, is this an interesting case study to you going into the year about whether or not a team could actually be a viable national title contender doing it this way? Because it's a little bit different universe than some of the national champions or all the national champions that we've seen here in the in the recent past. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think that, you know, Michigan definitely deserved credit for going out and getting, you know, a, a handful of really talented, experienced guys going into the run they made in 23. Washington did the same. Washington didn't take a ton, but they took some really good ones over the first two years with Kalen DeBoer. Um, but in terms of, hey, this is our full, you know, year long approach in, in terms of recruiting that we are going to build through the portal, um, I think we've seen. The ones that are like more all in on it and not just hey, we're trying to fill needs and, and, and find some complimentary pieces. Um, this is going to be like the year we really kind of find out, can it work at the highest level? Um, there are still programs out there, Alabama, Georgia, Texas certainly comes to mind that like they don't have to take that money that many. They still feel like they can go out and get the best blue chip recruits. And, you know, the portal is just kind of a complimentary piece to what they do. This is I think 24 is going to be the kind of year where we see can you go out and go heavy on the portal and really, in this new playoff format, uh, go make a really deep run. Yeah, and whether or not it's even something that can be duplicated in the past. Uh, shout out to Ole Miss. I think that one of the best things that they probably have going for them in the portal right now is a little place called Ajax Diner. Uh, it was the best chicken fried steak sandwich I've ever had in my entire life, and one of the top five sandwiches I've ever had in my entire life. Chicken fried steak sandwich. Yes, it's this beautiful brioche Does chicken bun. fried steak need... Bread no. on both sides. I mean, I don't know. Does a billionaire <laughs> need more money? Like, <laughs> I don't know. It's uh, chicken fried steak, um, a 
in-house baked brioche bun that was soft and buttered with okay. mashed potatoes and gravy on the sandwich. On the so sandwich. That's called the that's called the quadruple threat of carbs right there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, very, very good sandwich. And I, I and then you took cake, a nap after that one, right? Yes, we I did. Um, yeah. I really think that chicken fried steak in general is a very underutilized food in this country. And it should be more accessible, like across the board. I think chicken fried steak should be as common on menus as like chicken nuggets are and chicken fingers. Wow. Wow. Like it's just not a thing that you see very often on menus and it's delicious. I don't know why that's the case. It's it, you think about it. I mean, I don't know. I don't know if you're ready to respond right now, but internalize it at the end of the show. <laughs> Let me know. I'm, I'm going to process it. that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> country fried steak fingers. Like I don't, it's not that hard. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, let's go on to the next team here. Uh, they lost. This is a nice segue. Let's just get to the Ohio State discussion. Quince John Judkins is one of the few losses that Ole Miss suffered. He went to yep. Ohio State. Yep. And Ohio State had a lot of huge additions. Uh, Caleb Downs is a ready-made first-round draft pick uh, coming from Alabama in the secondary. Judkins, the sensational running back, quarterback Will Howard from Kansas State. Um Offensive lineman Seth McLaughlin, the center uh, from Alabama, who struggled a little bit in the Rose Bowl to snap the ball, but is a pretty good or very good offensive lineman if he can get those things under controls coming in. Uh, five-star receiver, true freshman Jeremiah Smith is a signee in last year's class. He's not a portal guy, but I assume somebody who's going to be playing a lot this year if you've ever watched his tape. Um, and they kept basically their entire defense uh Running back Trey Henderson's coming back to be the two-headed monster with Judkins in the backfield. Jack Sawyer and JT Tui Malowau, uh, defensive lineman coming back. Uh, fringe first-round cornerback uh, Denzel Burks coming back. They lost Marvin Harrison Jr., uh, one of the best, if not the best, receivers in college football last year. But Ohio State, if if any program is able to sustain a loss in the wide receiver room, that would be Ohio State. They basically were just like you want to, you know, they did the all-in thing, but they are really loading up to kind of change the trend of what's going on in the Michigan rivalry and, and kind of missing the Big Ten championship and all the things the last three years. Um, Ohio State went berserk, I think. Ari, is anything less than 16 wins for Ohio State uh, going to be satisfying this year? Yeah, I mean, I saw like national I, I had, title I had to do the bust. math about how many do you have to win now. I think it's, yeah, I is guess it 16? It's, I guess it's 16 if you have the bye, right? Yeah, so 17 if you go all the way? 17 if you aren't a top four seed is that yeah, yeah. Well, Michigan never won been a 15 this year right so uh mm-hmm. yeah i think it's at least two more if you're it'd not a buy team it'd be 16. yeah yeah 
So I, I don't know that that's the case, but I do think that if they were somehow to lose to Michigan again next year or fall short of the final four, that would be a complete and utter disaster. Um, I think that more so than the usually it's they not disastrous in, when they lose to Michigan, right? Like as your co-host, it's my duty <laughs> no, to yeah, my, my, push pa- back my on previous that. co-host doesn't think the rivalry matters all that much. Uh, mm-hmm. Dave Ubbin, when we get you back, I'm sure you'll make that joke a hundred more times, but it's uh, certainly important. But, you know, to go all in and in response to all this, I think is an interesting thing. But the thing that I think is most interesting about this, not so much the talent that they've acquired because they've always brought in really good players. That's not new for Ohio state. It's the uh, reorganization of the staff on both sides of the football. Um, They brought in Bill O'Brien to be the offensive coordinator. Ryan day is giving up calling plays for the first time since he's been there, which, you know, after some questionable calls, I think in the Michigan game was kind of an interesting move of like, should this happen now? And is he willing and ready to admit that it should? And and that he has, Um, they fired a special teams coordinator that a lot of Ohio state fans were upset about reorganizing the staff to get another defensive staff member in there. I think it's going to be a huge step for them. Um, It seems like they have more so than just getting players have tried to identify and remedy all of the things that were ailing the program from top to bottom, which seems to always happen at Ohio state when they have bad years, it took a little bit longer than most Ohio state fans would have liked to see, but they're going into the off season with a lot of players and a new staff and a lot of hope. I think that Downs and Judkins, you can say, are the kind of, I mean, I've been doing this for for a few years now. They're the kind of players you almost never see show up in the transfer portal. You know, these are legitimate All-America type players who usually are not leaving for anything other than the draft, right? And so to win head-to-head against Georgia for Caleb Downs, first of all, I I just don't, people were stunned by that, and I I was too, right? I mean, I think that, that seemed just so obvious the Caleb mm-hmm. Downs would go to Georgia. So it does speak to his confidence and his family's confidence and Jim Knowles and Ryan Day and what they've got cooking. Um, I think holding on to, yeah, he was committed, but like you and I both know, holding on to Jeremiah Smith in a game that went into overtime um, was a huge deal uh, for this this staff too. Um, he's, I, I think he's really special. Um, not that the Ohio State has been struggling at receiver. The, the Will Howard part, to me, Ari, is super fascinating. Um, you know, at, at the start of this portal cycle going into December, when when you would talk to uh, GMs and people in the personnel space kind of in advance of all these players in the portal, and you talk about kind of who's who's going in, there was, they were a little bit split on Will Howard. I talked to some people who liked Will Howard a lot and felt like, man, you know, you put him on the right team, you can win eight, nine, ten games. Like he could really be, um, just just the right kind of leader for a team that's already set up to su- succeed. And then I talked to some who kind of felt like he was a little more kind of average to above average. And I think it, it it's kind of in the eye of the beholder and how you break down the tape from his time at Kansas State. W- what's your like, where are we starting in terms of setting the expectations uh, yeah. for Will Howard, who obviously I should note still has to win the job? Yeah, um, I think that I'm in assuming he's going to win mode. Um, I don't know if there's any path to the field for, I mean, I know Devin Brown is still there and there was a thought that maybe he could come in next year and be the starting quarterback there. Yeah. I think you make this move because you go into the off season knowing that you don't have enough. Um, and it's not impossible that Devin Brown could outplay him in spring ball. Is it? I guess it's not impossible. No. And we have to take into account too, that there was a chance that Will Howard could have lost his job at Kansas state had he stayed. So we're not talking about like a ready made. This isn't just an, obvious thing now seniority and snaps and we're talking about a guy who was on a team that won an i mean a a conference championship two years ago 
And it's always that big deal of like, even in the NFL, we do this a lot. It's like, well, what if Tom Brady got drafted by the Browns? Or what if this guy would have gone to a really good team? Like Tim mm-hmm. Couch would have gone to the yep. Patriots. Like you, you can do this. And I am very curious because we have seen uh, quarterbacks who were viewed as so-so type players, like where you could clearly see their upside where they were, but, you know, weren't quite, you know, the man that really raised their profile. I mean, I think Bo Nix is probably the example of that. We saw Michael Penix Jr. do a lot of really good things at Indiana. He wasn't on a team that had a ton of talent and still kind of did really well there. They went to Washington and became a Heisman finalist. Um, does Will Howard make that jump because you're surrounding him with players that right. Kansas State, the, frankly, mean, to, just doesn't have? To, or, to some degree, does it matter, right? I mean, if you've got yeah. all that, if you've got a Buka coming back at receiver, if you got this, this – uh, the best running back do in the country country, obviously. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't it, it just on paper, you are going to love every aspect of, uh, of, of what they've got. Although I, what's, what's the vibe are you like, are Ohio state fans happy or not that happy with I the think Bill O'Brien piece happy. of it? Okay. Oh, the Bill O'Brien piece. Sorry. I didn't, I thought you meant with Will Howard. Um, I think that the number one criticism of Ohio state was that, Ryan Day was overwhelmed um, with the head coaching duties and the quarterback coach uh, who was was, uh, Urban Meyer's son-in-law was not qualified for the job when he got hired. Um, And that didn't really play into account because he was the quarterback coach there when C.J. Stroud was a Heisman finalist and they had really good players under Corey Dennis's leadership. But he has now been reassigned to another place, though they went in and they got a true offensive coordinator who can come in, call the plays coach the quarterbacks and like somebody who has a a vast resume at different places of coaching and, you know, some success, some failure, but at least, you know, has qualifications for the job. So I think that they're, you're probably mixed on that one of like, okay, well, we, we finally addressed whatever the issue is that we felt existed from their standpoint. But then on the other hand, it's like, well, not things haven't always gone well, wherever he's gone, but it has gone pretty good sometimes. So my thought process is, is that, um, we'll see. I, I don't know if I love the hire, but I don't hate it. Um, I think that it's going to be a, a very interesting test. And Ohio State now plays a much more difficult schedule than it has in the past. And mm-hmm. like you said, like a mid-October uh, road trip to Otzen's a little bit different than playing Purdue that weekend. So, you know, they're going to have their uh, – no offense, Purdue. But yeah. actually, Purdue is a bad example. Ohio State has lost there in the recent past. But uh, historically, that's, you, you, that is possible. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Purdue is a weird place for Ohio State. But um, yeah, so I think that there's a lot there to like. Uh, but are I we just in the extreme danger zone? Do you think of like, is this truly a championship or bust season? Or do you think it's just relative to like, if you, you need to just win the Big Ten this year? I think if they beat Michigan, win the Big Ten and advance to the final four, that would be fine. Okay. Um, I think people would, there's certainly people that would be disappointed. But I think that you get into like nuclear meltdown Chernobyl type scenario if they lose to Michigan again, somehow. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Michigan's losing a lot. That's not to disparage Michigan. We're going to get yeah. into that later in the show when we talk about Sharon Moore's hiring. But you can't lose that game four in a row, especially when the team is losing everything that it did. But Michigan, I do think, is also an interesting you know thought process into this because you know we're three or four years remo- removed, or I am, from thinking you had to have a bona fide first-round pick at quarterback to win the national championship, yep. like a Trevor Lawrence, Deshaun Watson, Tua type of player. Stetson Bennett, and, for sure. Yeah, yeah, right. like Stetson Brett. Yeah, uh, but now, well, Stetson Bennett, actually, I think, you know, if you go back and you watch, and this, there's no way to say this without it coming across as I'm disparaging um, J.J. McCarthy. I'm not I'm trying, trying to do that. 
Stetson Bennett made a shit ton of plays for Georgia in really high leverage moments. If you go back and watch their runs, uh, Michigan put together a team that was so good that they just swallowed up people like as a whole. And JJ, frankly speaking, wasn't put into a lot of situations where he had to make those types of plays. He did certainly at times, Mm -hmm. but it wasn't, you know, we're not talking. I don't think anybody would put JJ McCarthy into the Trevor Lawrence, you know, bus. So how good does Will Howard or somebody in Will Howard's position actually have to be for a team that brings back their entire very good defense, adds Caleb Downs, brings in Judkins as a a luxury item, and then, oh, by the way, they also brought in a five-star freshman, true freshman who you basically can just add into that class last year with Aaron Oland. Like, they have a lot of pieces there. Uh, This really should, um, should amount to a team that could and might win the national championship, but anything. I think is better than what's been happening the last few years there. Okay, let's Would go you? to the next team here. Notre Dame, I think, is a very interesting piece because, um, you know, I don't know what your thought process is on Riley Leonard, the quarterback Duke transfer um, that they got. I thought Riley Leonard was a very, very great, very good, too great college quarterback in the in the times that I saw him play at Duke. Um, he's obviously one of the most important pieces, I think, in the portal but they also, you know, got Bo Collins from Clemson, who I think was a former five-star prospect who just really never panned out at Clemson. Um, another defensive end, uh, R.J. Oben from Duke, Chris Mitchell from FIU. Um, they've they've got some offensive pieces coming in, and All American Safety Xavier Watts is returning, and Notre Dame, you know, with the Bo Collins and, and Mitchell additions, maybe that can be the thing that helps them get to some top tier talent in the receiver room, which has been a problem for them. What's your take on Notre Dame this off season? Yeah, I think you saw Marcus Freeman really invested in the transfer portal this year and, and they were pretty aggressive at the start of this cycle, really about they knew who they wanted and they went out and got him. Um, I think time will tell if Riley Leonard um, can be everything they hope. I'm, um, you know, again, another guy you talk to personnel people and they're a little bit more mixed on him and like, what's, you know, what's the, the true upside there. But at the end of the day, Notre Dame got their number one target and they liked him more than Will Howard, who they could have taken. So I think they have really high confidence that he's the guy, you know, Chris Mitchell was the number one receiver in in conference USA this season. Um, Statistically, RJ Oban was one of the best D linemen in the portal coming out of Duke. Um, They were able to get Rod Hurd from Northwestern who, who chose Notre Dame over Michigan. Um, Jaden Harrison from Marshall is a dynamic return man. I I think they, they had some made some very calculated decisions about, who are guys that can come in and, and be impactful? These are not just like developmental takes. They're guys that they think they can plug and play. And, you know, I think you, you've got to add on to the fact that, you know, Jared Parker got the Troy head job, I mean, gave them a chance to, to do a redo on that OC search. And, and they went out and got uh, Mike Denbrock to come back, which mm-hmm. is a wow move to me. And, and obviously LSU was number one in the country in scoring this year. That part combined with top 10 recruiting, it's like, I th- you know, I feel like this thing is right on schedule now after, you know, winning 10 games in year two. Yep, I'm with you. They did lose Sam Hartman and Audric Estime and Javante Jean-Baptiste and the best tackle in the country and Joe Alt. So they have some pieces that they have to replace. But this is an interesting stat here. Notre Dame has only had one receiver since 2020 go over 800 yards receiving, and nobody on their receiving room last year went over 500. You're replacing the quarterback, uh, who I think Riley Leonard's actually a sneaky, very good runner also. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he's a, a good playmaker, but, you know, who – who they got in the portal, like is Chris Mitchell going to be a guy who goes over a thousand yards this year for a team that's you know playing at that level will be an interesting thing. But I think Notre Dame did a good job of helping itself fill some of the holes that it lost while also bringing in one of the best you know offensive minds we've seen, um, especially from a place in the South. That's a hard thing to do. And 
I really like what they did this year. Okay, let's go to Mizzou. Hey, hey real quick, next five oh, years, ahead. how many playoff bids should like Notre Dame fans expect? Like, what, what's going to be the expectation for that program going forward? You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, I, I you have to rejigger your brain a little bit because like I'm right. still in fourteen mode. Yeah, um, five, I'm surprised I would, to hear that, but let's keep yeah, going. Yeah, yeah, I, I mean, four. Think so? I mean, I don't know. Like you're you got to finish three in the or four. top twelve, yeah, right? Yeah, I, I mean, mean it's, it's not yeah. the same. I might I might have said one or one if it was four teams, but now yeah, you know, in the past you'd just say, man, it's so hard to make the four, and now yeah, now, and now going it's kind of like if like, you don't make the twelve, you're an embarrassment. Yeah, it's right. like there's like a huge a huge gap between those two things. But I think Notre Dame has done a very good job. I think it's a very important year for for the entire coaching staff and Marcus Freeman kind of to you know it was such a splash hire. Right. When it happened and they've had right. a few rough years, like, is he going to get to the point where he becomes one of those made men in coaching? Because, you know, we've I've heard people talking, too. It's like, you know, now that Jim Harbaugh is gone and, you know, Nick Saban's retired, like filling out your top five coaches in college football is a very hard thing to do right now. I think the stat is there's only three active coaches right now with national championships and like one's Mac Brown. So it's just like there's yep. no, there's a lot yep. of discussion. We'll probably have to get into that this offseason at some point, but. Uh, Marcus Freeman, you would have thought might be in the top 10 when he was hired. And this is a really big year to see, you know, how things have gone. Okay. Mizzou is another team, Max, that had a really good year, won the Cotton Bowl, beat Ohio State. Um, You know, I thought played Georgia very, very well, you know, all things considered. When you think about the talent gap this past year, um, added a bunch of pieces, um, including offensive tackle Caden Green from OU, Marcus Carroll, the Georgia State running back transfer, Nate Noel from App, um, defensive end. Darius Smith from Georgia, and they're also returning Brady Cook and Luther Burden, which I think is a really good sign for a team that, you know, made a lot of offensive plays with that five-star receiver. Uh, what's your take on on Mizzou and what they did in the portal and, and what they're bringing back? Yeah, they're kind of that team, Murray, that they're just kind of, they're going to be automatically slotted really high in the preseason rankings, don't you think? Yeah, just I would based, think so. Just based on what they did you, and when you get the losing, quarterback back and, the, and Luther yeah, Burden. I mean, yeah, Katie Schrader, or Cody Schrader, I don't know why I yeah, said Yeah, Cody Schrader. Uh-huh. Katie, because, you know, for obvious yeah. reasons. Yeah. But um, he ran really hard last year, dude. Like, very, very underrated. And, of course, losing the national treasure, Harrison Mevis, at the kicker position is not going to be easy. That guy just bolts in at least one 59-yard field goal at the end of a game every year to win. But, yeah, no, I think so. If yeah. they lost Mevis, I, then I have to re- totally recalibrate my expectations for Missouri because, I mean, that guy is – The thicker kicker? The thicker kicker. That is the <laughs> definition. That's a that's – a, that's <laughs> a difference maker with a capital D right there, Ari. Yeah. yeah. Uh, dude, not just because he's a thicker kicker, but ice in his veins, man. Like, 100%. You know, and hitting these like field goals that are NFL range uh, to win games multiple times the last few years. But all kidding aside, yes, Max, I agree with you. They they were really good this year. They finished eighth they in bring, the polls. Like, they're going to yeah. be slotted. I, I don't know if they'll be for sure a top 10 preseason, but I mean, probably, right? People probably are going to. Give them that benefit of the doubt. Um, you know, I think beating Oregon for Caden Green was huge. Uh, that that's a big deal that tells you like what what Missouri is working with in the, in this market. Mm-hmm. Um, same thing with you know beating Oklahoma for for Williams Nowhere. Like they are getting very premium players, um, very premium big men. More importantly, uh, to come in there, I think Carolina you know, the high school ranks too. Not to interrupt you, but that's yeah. not a transfer. That's a signee. No, for, for sure. People who aren't aware. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, that's one of the best defense players in the country. Um, I, I I think that the combination of Marcus Carroll and Nate Noel can can work out well at running back. They they were two of the most productive uh, running backs in, in the Sun Belt. 
you know, I think losing their DC Blake Baker to LSU is 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 tough. Um, they're obviously they're going to lose some, um, you know, NFL caliber um, defensive players uh, to the draft as well. I think they had a couple solid pickups uh, on defense. Corey Batoon comes in from from South Alabama as the DC now. I don't think they necessarily take a huge step back on defense, but that will be kind of the the piece to watch a little bit because you just assume uh, that Cook and Burden and and uh, you know the playmakers they have are are going to have another big year. Yeah, I think Mizzou. I use this word a lot, case study, but you know, when you look about teams that have gone from mediocre to pretty good to yep. great, it, you know, it's few and far between in the sport. Um, I'm very curious to see if Mizzou can parlay a season like the one that they had last year that kind of came out of nowhere. If you weren't paying attention into being able to land guys in the St. Louis area, um, the way that they have, you know, I mean, Luther burden also from the St. Louis area, Yep. if they could kind of recruit their own state a little bit better than they have in the, you know, distant past, and, and build off something to make Mizzou kind of more of a mainstay in that top 15 area before they make a run at maybe a top five uh, scenario. But I think Dude, they're going to be very can, good. Can you year. imagine how much Luther Burton has been offered since he got to Missouri to transfer? Yeah, no, I, can't I mean, imagine. it's he possibly seven figures. I'm not saying I'm not reporting that. I'm just saying, like, that's one of yeah. those guys out there that probably is getting those calls and, and uh, innuendo all the time. And uh, when you can get those guys to come to your program. And stay in your program. Um, it, uh, it it inspires a lot of confidence. Yeah, not only that, but excel. You yeah. know, it's one thing oh, to yeah. get a commitment, but like we've seen teams like Maryland and you know others get five star players who have come in and you know not become all lose Americans. those guys. Yeah, right. Uh, or not or lose them immediately. You know, sure. so it's uh, it's definitely nice to see. And you root for. I mean, I don't know about you, but I I tend to root for guys like that more. Like when Luther Burden lit up scoreboards last year, I was like, man, good for him for you know seeing a vision that maybe other people, including myself, wouldn't have seen during his recruitment. And then not only going out and and making that commitment and signing, but then being a, a difference maker. And it goes to show everybody paying attention that if you go sign a five-star prospect at our skill position, you know, and he hits, it, it can turn your entire program around. So I think if you asked Eli, who uh, he's spoken about this, who is the catalyst for this change, I think he would point to Luther first. So good for them. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Okay, this one's going to be a little weird one um, because uh, I've been very cold on them and have been kind of mean about USC on this podcast and to the point where USC fans have, you know, thought that I've turned on their program because they cost me $1,000 with Andy. Uh, but mm. Mm. how do we view USC's offseason? They obviously lost Caleb Williams, who I think you could probably say was a top 10 player of the last decade, um, maybe even higher than top 10. And you don't really replace that very easily. I think Miller Moss looks like he's going to be the starter, but they did bring in Jade Maiva from uh, UNLV, Woody Marks, uh, the running back from Mississippi State, um, a few defensive backs from UCLA and John Humphrey and Kamari Ramsey, defensive lineman from Vanderbilt. Uh, Nate Clifton and a few other pieces. I don't know that I'm completely blown away by what they brought in, but they did bring in some pieces. And the most important, I think, uh, situation here is adding a defensive coordinator and rejiggering the staff on the defensive side, which helps you a lot if you have a defense that can't stop anybody. Is USC a team 
to you that did a lot in this offseason to kind of change the trajectory of the awful season they're coming off of? I think that I'm more wowed by their defensive staff than their portal class, which I think, honestly, if you're a USC fan, that's probably what you want to hear, right? I mean, that's the more significant. Yeah. Um, that's the can more we significant. Tackle somebody thing. next yes, year. I don't yeah. care who's doing it, but can we? Yeah. Um, I think Lincoln Riley set out to put together a first class defensive staff. And I think you could argue he was pretty successful in terms of who he was able to pick up. Now, obviously, this, this, we, we don't have to digress into, um, all of like the, the, will that change like the program wide, like culture when it comes to defense, right? That's a whole separate conversation. But I like what he went out and did in terms of getting Danton Lynn from UCLA. They had a top 10 defense this year in yards per play, top 25 in scoring and, and stop rate. Uh, and that's just in one year he spent at UCLA after coming in from the NFL. I think that that's a, going to be a fairly smooth transition in terms of bringing him in. Um, and they went out and got studs for the, the rest of their their um, spots on their defensive staff and, and uh, you know, let Lynn build that. And I think that, uh, you know, they have guys with serious experience now. Like, I think if you're Lincoln Riley, you should hopefully – you got the right guy and have some confidence of like, we're just going to leave them alone and let them do what they need to do here. Yeah. It is an interesting thought because like you go back and you look, I alluded to it about a minute ago um, about who the top five coaches in college football are. Um, I think that both Ryan day and Lincoln Riley probably would have been in the top five in previous iterations of that type of list. And I think that without I'm, much thought, you would just kind of automatically yeah, just slot kinda, them in yes. there just as a, and as they're kind of similar in terms of their trajectory, in terms of being young, extremely, promoted extremely within similar. offensive yeah. minds that did really well with quarterbacks. And like now I'm kind of down on both. And I think a lot of people are, and I think both are kind of having similar off seasons right now of, you know, here are the things that plagued our program and I'm going to make the necessary and hard changes to make in order to rectify that. And I think they're both having really important off seasons Ohio State, I think, did a better job of getting players into the program, uh, but USC probably had a more drastic change to make. And in tracking both of these teams going into next year, I don't want to lump them together, but can USC be really, really good offensively and have a very solid defense enough to compete in the Big Ten, or are they going to have a rude awakening next year is a very important story to be tracking in the next year. Yeah, I agree. And I think that um, I think everybody was curious to see what was Lincoln going to do at quarterback in the portal um, in December. And that there was a lot of I think there was a lot of, you know, behind the scenes conversations going on with lots of different guys out there about potentially going to USC. Um, but then Miller Moss just went out and had a killer holiday bowl. And I think that really kind of reset the conversation now we'll see you know is Did that it reset your mind on what to expect from him i i don't i, I don't know i mean you know we, we're not really that's the guy we just haven't seen a lot of game reps from right i mean they you know lincoln would know better than we would in terms of what you've seen in, in practice development he was a guy that when i talked to a lot of personal people they just kind of assumed he would hit the portal they assumed right. usc would go take somebody right um but i you know props to him for making the most of his opportunity in the bowl game and I think doing enough to kind of be like, OK, wait, maybe maybe the answer's in the building here. Um, you know, they eventually took Jaden Maiava from UNLV, who was the Mountain West, you know, freshman of the year who they flipped away from Georgia, actually. So how, you know, is that are you taking him as a guy that can, can go beat out Miller Moss or is that more of a deve developmental take? I, you know, we'll see. But yeah, I mean, I think you have to know after, you know, post Caleb Williams, there's going to be a step back. But you know, can you be a little bit more balanced team and not just have these big flops? I think is, uh, I think that's the game here. Yeah. You know, I brought up Ryan day here a second ago when talking about USC, Andrew Cooper here in the chat 
uh, said if Ohio State doesn't fix the quarterback position, do they do enough to change their overall results? And that sparked my memory that we got an Apple review question that I promised that we would answer. And we got it from uh, Matt McCarty, who left a five-star review on the podcast feed. If you do that, we will answer your questions on the show. And I wanted to make sure we did that because we say it all the time. So the question is, did Ohio State actually change anything by spending $15 million? Uh, We'll get into that figure in a minute. But they had a great defense last year, but their offensive line sucked and their quarterback was mediocre. Isn't Isn't their offensive line going to be the same? Uh, minus their best offensive lineman and minus Marvin Harrison and Cade Stover. Did they really change anything or just reinforce positions they were already strong at? Sounds like their wide receiver and defensive end recruiting. And going into a tougher schedule in a Big Ten championship where there was no East and West, I have them losing to Oregon at Penn State and then again in the Big Ten championship game because that offensive line is awful. And go watch Will Howard versus Texas last year. He had eight passing yards in the first half against a decent defense. Please tell me that you're seeing Ryan Day make the same mistakes. I think it's an interesting hmm. question. Now I can't tell where are you I can't tell based on your recent Twitter activity, Ari, who are you a fan of now? Like what's going on? I know it's weird. Are you are it? you pro Michigan or are you trolling Michigan? Like where where are you um, at today on Monday, January 29th? Uh I mean, are you pro Ohio State or are you trolling? I run Ohio with State? the winners, man. I run with the winners. <laughs> uh I'm I'm a Michigan homer. Okay. Uh I they squeezed you onto that bandwagon at the end of the run there. That's good. I just can't stand like weak, like weak fan. Like it, like whenever I write a story about recruiting and somebody goes, well, they paid him to go somewhere like before NIL. I was like, oh, my God, be mm-hmm. more annoying. And like now, like the cheating thing has kind of gotten under my skin a little bit of like they beat you and they beat you pretty fair and square. Like quit complaining about it. Like and I find myself kind of turned off by that. Mm-hmm. Um, Michigan won the national championship live with it. But I do think that this is an interesting question, Max, because Ohio State has signed a lot of classes in the past that have finished in the top five, but a lot of those classes have been bolstered by positions that they've already been very strong with. Uh, you know, a lot of really highly ranked receivers coming in, like Carnell Tate and guys that are going to be stepping in this year that, you know, weren't playing. And Doug Maurice, who we had on last week, you know, changed my thought about something and I and I'm going to use it is it's not so much what your team total talent is. It's about your top 35 guys in snap count. And if your top 35 guys who actually play are better than the top 35 guys on the teams that you're playing. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of times Ohio state had much better players that were like the 70th most important player on their roster. Um, But their top 35 were weak at certain positions and they did a very poor job of replacing those positions. And I think the offensive line, you know, frankly speaking was one of them and, you know, they did get Seth McLaughlin, but you know, you're looking at, and also, you'd you know, say Michigan that that the the twenty twenty three Michigan team they were strong from one to thirty five. Yeah, they had depth and at very a lot well of spots. spread out. Yes. Yeah, it's not so much just like okay, Ohio State's got six first round receivers on their team. It's like okay, that's great, but eventually, if you have a problem at left tackle, that's going to rear its ugly head. Yeah. So I do think that that's a very important question. I also like hope you would think that they made a huge upgrade. At the quarterback position, if Will Howard actually is a hit in the way that, but that's also a question mark. So, you know, they did not spend, in my opinion, $15 million to do this. I like that these numbers just fly out there and, you know, it's kind of hard to verify, but I, I yeah. bet just about I think that came from sliced bread. Much. I think that was sliced bread. Yeah, again. sliced bread is the man. Um, I think it actually is just the same figure that Ryan Day said he needed three years ago to uh, retain his roster in the first open discussion about finances in NIL. And it just got repurposed somewhere. I don't know where that that number came from, but I do think that Andrew Cooper here in the in the live chat. I appreciate you being here, Andrew. And um, you know, the question was is dead on and certainly something to track. So 
you know, adding luxury items at places that you're not really yep. weak at. It doesn't necessarily inspire change. Um, their defense was very different last year than it was in the past. They're bringing most of those guys back. Caleb Downs is a really important piece in the secondary for anybody. Quinshawn Judkins is really, really good, and they haven't really been running the ball that great. Their offensive line and quarterback position, as you mentioned, are going to be really important pieces. Okay, we've got three more teams we're going to power through real quick. Okay. Um, Louisville, I'm just going to let you run. What, what do you think of Louisville and, and what they've done? All right, I'm very high on Louisville. That They have added more than 30,000 career snaps to their team via the portal this offseason. Um, that's 26 new transfers in the building. Basically an entire recruiting class. You know, they've they've lost 40 to the portal over the last two offseasons, so they had to restock a little bit. But if you look at their class they're bringing in for 24, 14 high school, 26 portal, that's impossible a couple of years ago. But but that's that's what it looks like now going into year two. Um, I think the interesting question for the for the Cardinals after, you know, playing for an ACC title, will that will the portal thing be more due to necessity or will that be preference going forward? Because I think they were really successful in this cycle at getting legit players, power five and group of five players. Um, and I think when you get a taste of contending right away, you want to stay at that level and your fan base expects you to stay at that level. So um, big fan of a lot of their takes. Colin Lacey from South Alabama was the number one receiver in the Sun Belt this last season. Penny Boone was the the Mac offensive player of the year at Toledo. Tyler Barron, they, who they flipped from Ole Miss, one of the best edge players in the portal. Um, you know, six offensive linemen with starting experience. And and the big one to me, the big question mark is Tyler Shuck, the Texas Tech quarterback transfer. I think when he's healthy, he's a dude. And I've talked to personnel people who really liked his tape. But the the big thing is he's just had the worst luck ever in his three years at Texas Tech with injuries. Um, so people haven't really been able to see him string together a big run here. But if Jeff Brom and his offensive system can get a full season out of Tyler Shuck, I think Louisville is going to stay competitive. I'm with you. I like Louisville, too. Texas, we have to get to. Horns Texas. Up. Well, Texas. lost a lot, dude. They did lose a lot. I mean, JT Sanders, A.D. Mitchell, and Xavier Worthy, Jordan Winnington, and Jonathan Brooks. Um, you look at Dane Brugler's uh, his last uh, mock, de- mock draft he did. He did two rounds, and he had six Texas players in it. I mean, there's, yeah. some, there's some studs leaving. Yeah. Well, they got Isaiah Bond from Alabama, who I think has a huge ceiling. Um, and they picked up some pieces like Silas Bolden the receiver from Oregon State, wide receiver Matthew Golden from Houston, and another few pieces. Quinn Ewers is staying. Sark on an extension. Do you feel like Texas did a good job of weathering the blow to maintain the success they had last year? I think so. Yeah, I mean, Quinn Ewers is coming back, but he loses his top five guys in terms of of catches this last season. Um, I think, you know, Matthew Golden from Houston is not a household name yet, but is super talented. Um, Bolden's one of the most explosive players in the Pac-12 as a receiver and returner. Um, I think that was very savvy of them to, to get Bond flip like they did before Kalen DeBoer really even had a chance to meet him. Um, so st- really strong stuff. And then obviously Amari Nyblack coming from Alabama, um, you know, to, to all this to compliment John Tay cook and Ryan Wingo and some of the young guys they've got offensively, you feel really good about where they're at. Um, I, they didn't need a whole lot on defense, but to add Trey Moore, the, the top defensive player in the American conference, Ed rusher from UTSA, I thought was impressive. Andrew McCuba, the safety from Clemson comes home. Um, you know, it's tough to lose Bo Davis, obviously the D-line coach. It's tough to lose Jeff Choate. But otherwise, this staff um, continues to just have a ton of continuity on it, uh, you know, especially with their coordinators. And I think that's a big deal um, in terms of uh, running it back. It's obviously, uh, Sark being a guy that that was, you know, another name that got thrown around for Alabama. For them to run it back like this is, uh, um, you know, despite what they lose to the draft, I think you're very encouraged. Um, my buddy Mark Schleybaugh at ESPN had Texas number two in his way too early top 25. And I winced at that a little bit, Ari. Like, 
Is that is that what we're supposed to th- think on, on Texas? Are we supposed to just be like, you know, two. they're a playoff team and they got a lot quarterback back and they got a lot back. And so like two is a little I, I don't high know where to put liking, them. But yeah, it, it feels uh, a little high to me. 10. But maybe that's maybe they are top five. I don't know. It could end up being that way. Yeah. Uh, Florida State uh, on the rundown here losses. It's a lot. Says everyone, everyone, <laughs> which I thought was funny. They, they did lose literally everybody. Um, but DJU coming in at quarterback, Grady Kelly, defensive lineman from Colorado State, um, a few other defensive linemen, uh, and then everybody on Alabama's roster is coming in. So it seems to me that Florida State has done a very good job of building their program through the portal. I think that they did a very good job of addressing a lot of the losses they have. I don't know if they'll be able to sustain how good they were last year when you lose all those pieces, um, but certainly I think did a very good job. And just for the sake of time here, Max, yeah, Nebraska is the last team that we have to cover real quick. You're uh, very plugged in there. They got Dylan Rayola. I think that everybody knows that name. A few other pieces in the in the portal and returning some important defensive players, uh, including their defensive coordinator. Is Nebraska a team that takes that that jump to nine wins next year? <laughs> they are chasing another offseason I mean, championship here. Ele- oh, okay, sure. Yeah, why not 11? Um, I think the trend line is really positive for Nebraska. Um, yeah, chasing another offseason championship here. Um, I think getting Tony White back was a really big deal. You know, they had the number 13 scoring offense in his first year at Nebraska. You know, after coming in from Syracuse, he really worked a miracle and had a lot of, lot of interest. So um, keeping him, I think, was maybe the biggest one. But, but certainly Riola and Carter Nelson coming in. Uh, you've got some real difference makers in the freshman class. I think the the uh, Dante Dowdell, Isaiah Nair, um, Jamal Banks, all guys that, that Nebraska really really needed last year. So I, I think if you're you're a Husker fan, I think you are pretty pretty optimistic that they are getting getting some players in here who uh, are going to make this thing look different in 24. Max, uh, we got good chemistry. That's why that took 50 minutes. Uh, thanks, guys. We've got <laughs> two more segments here. We're gonna we're gonna go through them first, but I just wanted to make sure you know as we're speaking of the Big Ten in Nebraska. Um, that we uh, thank you all for subscribing. If you're checking this out on YouTube and whether this is your first or 10th time, please consider dropping us a like and subscribing. 75% of you guys watching this right now are not subscribed to the YouTube channel. Let's change that. It takes just a second to like the video and subscribe to the feed and it helps support the show in a major, major way and and helps us try to get to the direction that we're headed in. Uh, We're aiming to get 10,000 subscribers on the YouTube channel before the start of next season. So if you're here watching it and you're not subscribed and you enjoy the show, could you please do that for us? It'd mean a lot to us and it would help us uh, get our videos in front of you. So it means a lot to me. Uh, let's go quickly into the next quick segment here. Sharon Moore. Named Should we just Michigan's speak it 2X? Should we just try to like do it that way? And then and then the, the listener how, can just adjust their audio on the on the playback. How do we do that? <laughs> I don't know. Let's beam it into everybody. I, like I already back. speak it 2X. So I'll just try and turn it up even more. All right, let's yeah. Go. Sharon Moore was named Michigan's head coach. Um, obviously, he's got an important scenarios here uh, in terms of a to-do list. He's got to retain his staff. Jesse Minter and Jay Harbaugh are both rumored to be following Jim to the NFL. Um, he has to hire some coordinators here. Uh, is he going to be hiring somebody to call the offense for him now that he's the head coach, keeping the roster together like Donovan Edwards, Colson Loveland, Will Johnson, Josiah Stewart, Mason Graham, all very important pieces to their national championship run last year. Um, could be targeted by other teams as their portal window is open. Um, how you know he is able to do that, I think, is important. I think hiring from within. Uh, I respect Michigan for not making what seemed to be an easy choice difficult. 
I agree. It's it's always it's funny because it's like Jim Harbaugh gets his way uh, in terms of he obviously wanted Sharon Moore to get this job and not anybody from outside their building. But then as soon as we we hand this off to Sharon Moore, it's like, OK, time to go head to head against Jim for everybody else in the building here. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's right. A, it's a that, that it is complicated when you try to go succession plan here. Um, and obviously, Jim Harbaugh is trying to take the best with him, um, like Ben Herbert, to uh, to kind of keep this thing, um, you know, to, to to try to kind of match this kind of success at the pro level. Um, so yeah, great piece by Austin Mee, kind of breaking down all the to do's for, um, Sean Moore. I, I think that the portal piece I'm not as concerned about, obviously there's, there's great players that I'm sure have received phone calls saying like, you don't want to stay there. Things are changing. Um, here's, here's, you know, big time money to go somewhere else. But I think it's a little too late in the cycle for these guys to bail. Um, and I think that was kind of the benefit of Jim Harbaugh dragging this out as long as he did, um, is that, uh, it, it's going to be, I don't think that Michigan is going to have much attrition, uh, especially now that um, they're sticking with more. Um, but yep. certainly in terms of setting the identity of this program, you're very I mean, will he go have someone else run an offense? You know what I mean? Like what what kind of staff is he going to build right. as a first time guy um, to to really kind of uh, stay at this level? I think I'm, I'm very curious to see what that composition is going to look like here over the next month. Yeah, I think that when you win a national title and those players uh, love the coach that was on the sideline for a lot of the games this year that makes the transition a lot easier in terms of retention I do think that the most important piece to any offseason when you're in a situation like this is how does a coach who's promoted from within make the program his without just trying to fill the shoes and be the person that they're replacing and I don't know that Sharon Moore and Jim Harbaugh could be very much alike but uh, also too there's a lot to learn from Jim Harbaugh on the way he did things so it'll be curious to see how he puts his thumbprint on the program speaking of thumbprints I can't believe this um, thumbprint makes no sense in the next thing I'm about to say I don't know why I said that but uh, Iowa not your offensive best transition, coordinator, but we got yeah we'll not keep the, it moving. We're, we're, we're gonna get through it uh, yeah. Iowa hired an offensive coordinator uh, Tim Lester was Western Michigan's head coach through 2022 and he was a analyst for Green Bay Packers this season in the NFL he's a former XFL quarterback offensive coordinator at Syracuse prior to Western Michigan and had some really nice pieces at least at the skill position players while at Western uh, Michigan, like Dwayne Eskridge and Sky Moore, um, both of whom were, were drafted under his leadership. Um, I invested a lot of money in Dwayne Eskridge rookie cards, and that's not really p- playing out right now. But we're did he we're play still, this season? I mean, yeah, I don't, I don't want to talk about it. Okay? okay, but I, I loved him at in college, so I always thought that he was he was pretty cheap. Um, but hey, by the way, what's the best destination for Justin Fields? You want to do like ten minutes on that real quick? Yeah, I've got more Justin Fields cards in this office that I'm sitting in. Uh, I think I could pay my mortgage for four or five months if I just sold them right now, but I- I'm holding on. I'm holding on. Um, Hold Scott Docterman, our Iowa beat writer and Big Ten expert, wrote a story that, you know, Lester likes to run a lot of 11 personnel, did it at Western Michigan, 64% of the snaps, which is 31 compared 31%. That's a big <laughs> difference compared to Iowa. Yeah. And 2021 Western Michigan ranked 28th in yards per play nationally. I think they did so. Be, if you ever watch those matching games like I do every year, um, they had a ton of explosive plays on the, on those teams. Uh, what do you think about the Tim Lester hire, and does it kind of, you know, fall in line with what you were anticipating here? Yeah, you know, it's funny. I, I I saw obviously on Sunday a lot of people like chuckling at like where where Western Michigan finished statistically in 2022, and uh, just look at look at Kirk Ferentz. He couldn't help himself. But you look at all the years preceding that. I remember a year ago talking to some of the players from Western Michigan. Uh, who hit the portal um, because, you know, and, you know, Braden Fisk from Florida State and a bunch of those guys went in. They were pretty surprised that he was let go. They, they did really kind of did not see that coming. 
And, um, I, you know, I, I think that, look, it, it's, it's a tough job to fill. Um, in some ways, there's, you know, there's nowhere to go or, but up. So maybe it's not that tough of a job to fill. But the fact that Kirk Ferentz took like 100 days to do this, like that, that was the part of this that I just like couldn't wrap my head around. And it kind of builds mm-hmm. up this anticipation of like, how will they please find somebody acceptable? I think Tim Lester is acceptable if you're an Iowa fan. I wouldn't be upset about it necessarily but but offensively you know it's it's a, it's a good note from Scott you know I think Kirk Ferentz is looking for people that aren't not trying to necessarily fully go too far away from what he believes in um but can you at least innovate a little bit um I I, I think this one makes sense um you just wonder how much will he be kind of given the freedom to uh to take them away from what they love to do and do unsuccessfully yeah uh, I don't think they were going to go hire uh, fi- a coach that likes to run a five wide every play but you know, I also don't know that I feel 100% bought in on the notion that they're going to start scoring 30 points a game. Uh, we'll see how it goes, but uh, I didn't hate the hire. I was exactly the type of hire that I was expecting. Um, Do you think his contract on. will come with terms for scoring? Probably not. Yes, I think he has to score 21 points a game uh, this year, and I think we might Should be it be sweating. escalating? We'll it's like year one, you have to hit 22. Year two, you have to hit 25. Year five, you need to hit yeah. 40 points a game. Yeah. That's how I would do it. Yeah, drive to 326 would be funny. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, last segment, guys. Thanks so much for for being here. We really appreciate you, but I'm excited about this. We're going to review some of our cold takes from this year. Uh, Max is the purveyor of lukewarm takes, so I don't Mm. know if we're going to have much of a cold take from you. I've got got a lot of them. Um, My cold take was it is impossible for Michigan to win the national championship this year. We've talked in depth about what I used to view as a necessity or a prereq for winning a national title and Michigan did not meet that criteria and Michigan won the national championship. If you're interested in hearing what, how I feel about this or how it made me look, I've written a few columns about it and have discussed it a lot on the show, but I don't think there's a colder take than saying a team cannot win a national title and then watching them go win the national title in person. I, I remember when you and I landed in Columbus for the official visit and Bruce was reporting his story mm-hmm. about how Jim Harbaugh said they had like 20 draft picks or whatever. Wasn't he like nudging you to write a column about how Michigan cannot win the national championship? Thank well, God I don't you know did. if you remember the story, but he he led with you. Yeah, I was the lead of like, look at this idiot who works for us that thinks this. This is what's <laughs> actually going to happen. Yeah. And I was in discussions with Jill of saying, I'm going to write a rebuttal column. Mm hmm. And I am very, very happy that I didn't do it. But there were plenty of tweets that Michigan fans were digging up this past few days. And I have a little mini rant about digging up tweets from five years ago to throw back in somebody's face. Um, I think that if you have analysis of something that, you know, based on the information that you had five years ago or four years ago or even three years ago, and then something miraculously changes that. Sorry, I didn't see something incredible coming. Like, I didn't see a miracle happen. Like, I, I was wrong then, obviously, but. You can only give analysis based on what the information you have in this at the time. But that's no excuse. Max, what was your cold take? I thought that USC had the goods to to be a playoff team. I did. I thought I thought that, that Alex Grinch could get the defense to good enough. And that Caleb Williams was just so special that uh, he could overcome whatever. And uh, honestly, Ari, it's probably a little bit of a cautionary tale after the discussion we just had. I really liked what they brought in in the portal. And they missed on a bunch of guys. I mean, there, there's there's some they took that worked out. They tried to rebuild their whole old line through the portal. I wouldn't say that worked out great. Um, there's, you know, Dorian Singer, who's, who's already transferred again to, to Utah. There are some guys I really liked that they picked up that just didn't have that kind of a we're going to be a playoff team kind of impact. And so 
yeah, there, that can be, that's probably me being a little guilty of overestimating what someone's done in the portal. Um, ultimately it just never, never came together, but Hey, you know what? I also thought at the end of the season, Lincoln Riley might go pro. So shout out to him for, uh, sticking it out and trying to fix it. Yeah. It is interesting because it's like Dorian Singer was like a no doubt about it. Can't miss guy. I thought yeah, last year, yeah, right? Sure. I think he even scored a touchdown on the, I think he was the first person to score for USC this year, or at least he scored in the first quarter. I was like, this guy's going to score 15 touchdowns this year. Um, and it might be also a branch and you had all these pieces. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just on paper, it just seemed like as good as Oregon and Washington were going to be. I thought USC would be right there with them and they just weren't absolutely not. But is it also a cautionary tale too, that if you are a person who is putting up major numbers at a quote unquote, smaller place or less iconic football brand that leaving isn't always better. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Like sometimes. Uh, that is also because he had a really good year the year before at Arizona. So, okay, let's get to some fan cold takes. We're going to start with a voicemail from Will, uh, and then we'll get into the rest of them. Hi, y'all. This is Will uh, from sunny California. My really bad take, I'm a Jayhawk fan, and after Jalen Daniels went down, I was all doom and gloom. I was sure that we were going to massively uh, underachieve or, you know, course correct for average for us. But no, Jason Bean stepped up, uh, had some massive wins, some great moments. What an underrated story, you know, as uh, our fan base just has embraced him um, as an incredible leader, incredible kid, um, and, you know, really happy first bowl win in a long time and, and looking forward to a great season uh, next year, but uh, that was a bad take for me. I, I thought we were done. Yeah, and you covered a pretty exciting Kansas game too, where goalposts landed in bodies of water. Um, I did. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> if you if you Kansas is another one, man. Like in terms of what they are bringing back, where they did not lose to the draft, and they 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 went out and got a few pieces in the portal. But Kansas is Kansas is going to ride in twenty four, man. Like it's uh They've got a shot to make a run here um, if Jalen Daniels can stay healthy. Yeah, and also, too, uh, Jason Beam, all-time name. I don't think he gets enough credit for for how awesome that is. All right, Josh Mustachio, um, I'm going to read some of these off now here. Uh, His preseason cold take was that Michigan loses three games this season, and it reminds me of their 2007 season when everybody was back and they just collapsed. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Didn't go that way. It did not go that way, Josh. Okay, thanks for sharing, though. We appreciate that. Ian. uh, Ian is tweeting on Twitter. I said definitively that three quarterbacks cannot play coming into the year. One won the Heisman Trophy. Another won the national title, the national championship game. The third one was Cam Ward. (laughs) (laughs) I I, love you, Ian. (laughs) I respect it, Ian. Ian, when we did our Heisman draft in the summer, I went back and looked at this today. I took uh, Carson Beck, Kyle McCord, uh, Tyler Buckner. Um, man, we had a, you know, and Cam rising who didn't play a single snap all year. So yeah, I, 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 when it came to QBs, I took some pretty big L's this year. And I got to respect everybody who joined this today because you know what? Um, I don't know what happened, Max. And I don't know if you ever feel this way. Maybe I, uh, just feel it more than you do because of how the personality I am, but like being a sports writer has like somehow turned into like having to be right about the future all the time for some reason, when really we're supposed to be chronicling what happened already. Mm -hmm. And if you are one of these people who has opinions and then you're wrong and you can't like own up to being wrong, 
or you can't laugh at yourself or enjoy it, then like I think you're kind of missing out on the entire point of loving sports, which is to come up with opinions and thoughts and then watch them play out and then assess how you did. So yeah. we appreciate everybody who's well who's participated in this. So okay, let's keep let's keep going here. A few more. Uh Eric at Eric Quiz2096 on Twitter uh wrote, and I quote, Brother, look at Hypel's QB production every year since like 2017. If you aren't convinced yet, you are blind. Joe Milton is gonna feast in 2023 now that he's been in the system and learned it Heisman type season coming. <laughs> I remember I remember I was in Nashville in uh in August and uh for the personnel symposium. And we were at a, a bar on Broadway and I saw a guy wearing a Bazooka Joe Tennessee jersey. Yeah. And I'm like, that's a, that is either go, he, either he's way ahead of it or he is going to just laugh at that someday as this great artifact he has of, of the Joe Milton era. We did have a discussion on this podcast feed in the preseason last year about whether Joe Milton could play himself into a top 10 pick mm-hmm. kind of the way that Anthony. I mean, it's not like this is a crazy thought. Like we all thought that if you no. put it together with his arm talent. Uh, he would have had a really special year, but Eric, thanks for laughing with Eric, us. If, okay, I, if let's that go. was you, I saw at Broadway. Shout out to you, my man. <laughs> uh, next one is from Tom at MULTF, uh, M-U-L-L-T-F on Twitter. I have been a Penn State hater my entire life, and I thought this was the year. Had bets on them to win the Big Ten, make the playoff, Drew Aller for Heisman, all terrible bets. You know, I, they weren't, I don't know that it was terrible. I, I just think that they just didn't get over the hump in the big games, but they didn't collapse, and I think I would have thought that Drew Aller would be further along this year than he was. Yeah, but then I also don't know if that's also just lack of explosive playmaking ability around him at the receiver position too. So right. we'll see. Well, and you know, I mean, Ari, would he have benefited from starting in twenty two? I mean, who can say? I, I think he probably would have. I don't know uh, what you think, but hey, they won the Rose Bowl a few years ago, so everything's better now, right? Uh, that's the whole point, right? Uh, last one here, uh, jagged line at you underscore. N3RD, which spells nerd. Mm-hmm. In the preseason, I was convinced I like that. that one of Joe Milton, Spencer Rattler, or DJU were going to make themselves into a first-round pick. Um, I mean, all three of those guys, I mean, had upside, especially the body types of two of them. It's it, uh, not crazy, but guys, we're going to continue to monitor cold takes. That was a really fun segment. I enjoyed yeah. it. Um, Appreciate so the humility much. of our listeners. Yeah. Some people have it and some don't. Dave. <laughs> I'm kidding because I love. Uh, thank you guys so much for joining us here live on YouTube if you're here. And thank you so much for listening. If you're a podcast uh, consumer, Max, thank you so much for joining us. You made a podcast about personnel changes uh, possible because I don't know how you keep it all up there in your big brain, but I can't do it. I appreciate it, man. It was always always good to chat with you. Yeah, yeah, I had a really good time. It was a good episode. Uh, lastly, just want to thank everybody uh, again and remind them to follow us wherever you listen to podcasts, subscribe to the YouTube channel, and whether you're a YouTube podcast or both listener, please interact with those channels as much as you can with likes and comments and shares and anything you can do to help the show continue to grow. We're very proud of what we're doing here, and um, it's moving forward in a really awesome direction. The goal is 10,000 subscribers on the youtube channel by the time the 2024 season starts and holy crap we are getting thanks everybody (laughs) that was the latest edition of on joe saturday